Uh, we're in Acts 20 this morning. And before we, we get in, let's go ahead and just pray. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to gather together corporately, to worship you, to grow closer to you, closer to each other, um, to be more and more transformed into who you want us to be. In your name, amen. This morning, I'm specifically going to focus on the oh-so-strange passage of the story of Eutychus. And as I was getting ready for this, uh, this sermon, uh, I always like to sort of see what other people have thought or done with this passage. And some possible conclusions that people have drawn from this passage. We should not preach over a so certain length so that people don't get bored and fall asleep. You're all really hoping that's the conclusion I came to, I know. No, it's just you can't preach past midnight. Oh, good, okay, fantastic. I like that one better. That's, I'll add that to the list, thank you. You guys are all awake, fantastic. Um, two, uh, this is from, clearly written from a different perspective. There have always been lazy people who won't stay awake during the sermon. Darn it. You're really hoping that's not my conclusion. Uh, three, uh, Eutychus is a young man. It very clearly emphasizes that. So there will be uh, poor youth. They've always been marginalized. They just never were accepted. So that's why we need youth groups, is to take care of them. Hopefully these are causing you some concern. Um, number four, it's okay to be a boring preacher if you can raise the debt. That's my favorite, without question. I'm like, fantastic. Uh, these are like legit sermons. If you go online and start looking for the story of Eutychus, these are real conclusions people draw. So um, are these the reasons that Luke included the story in the book of Acts? Hopefully we can sort of go, wow, that really raises a lot of concerns. But it also raises the question, it's a weird story, and people often are left going, well, what do we do with this story? If people will say, we should let Scripture interpret Scripture. So we, we might be hoping we would find a passage along the lines of, wise is the one who is concise of speech and short of teaching. That would be great. Or maybe, um, blessed is the one who stays awake during the study of God's word. No, no, neither of those. So when we say we should listen and let scripture um, interpret scripture, it can feel like that's sort of what we want. It's something real simple. It's a concise statement that tells us this is what this means. The largest percentage of the Bible is story. Over 40% of the Bible is story. The next part is poetry. If we want very concise, clear statements, the Bible is not having any of that. They're expecting you to work and meditate. It says, blessed is the one who meditates on the word. You know, like, those are the things. So as we're doing this, we're supposed to be doing that meditation. So reading the Bible requires attentiveness. So what I want to do um, this morning, I'm running an experiment because that's just the way type of person I am. I'm going to invite you all to participate with me in the sermon. And what, what, what I want to do is this. We're going to read the story of Eutychus, and I want to focus on a couple things, but I'm going to expect that you guys are helping me out here. This is an experiment, as I said. 
we're going to do a couple of things. We want to, as we're reading, we're going to pay attention to a couple of things. Repeat wording or phrases. Odd wordings or phrases or similar actions to other stories. Does this story remind you of any other stories? So we're going to read the story, and that's what we're going to be sort of focusing on, and we're just going to keep working through it. Um, there's no, I have sermon notes, but the notes are completely unplanned. So let's read Acts 20, verses 6 through 12. I'm going to read in the NIV this time. But we sailed from Philippi after the festival of unleavened bread, and five days later joined the others at Troas, where we stayed seven days. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third floor and was picked up dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. So, having read that, do you notice any repeat phrases, odd wordings, or stories this reminds you of? On and on. On and on. on, and on. Okay, okay, all right, so on and on. Perfect. All right, so um, the way, the way we, this works, we all have the ability in this day and age to be able to say, if I have a weird phrase or that type of thing, can I look it up? And so I might put in and just say on and on and see where it comes up. And in this case, it really doesn't show up any other places. So we would sort of leave it at that. You know, we could say, okay, well, that's interesting. So, you know, what we want to do here is, is we can notice things and say, does it show up someplace? If it does, great. If not, we might move on. We can come back to different ideas or different phrases. So on and on is an interesting one. If we read in a different translation, maybe it even says it differently. So we're just going to be paying attention to other words, other phrases. Anything else that jumps out to you? Repeat. All the candles on the third floor. Okay. So Zadek is making a comment which says, we're telling the story, and it says, Paul began talking to them, intending to leave the next day, and he prolonged his message until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room. We were all gathered together. Pause for a second. And then there was a young man named Eutychus. So right in the middle, it just sticks in this many lamps in the room. Pause, weird, what? Why is this going on? Thank you, Zadok. Um, interesting, interesting phrase. Why, why are we putting that in there? So we might ask the question, do we have stories with lamps in it? Um, what, what sort of stories do we have lamps showing up in? Does anyone have thoughts on that? Ideas? Okay, so we've got that, the story of um, the not hiding under a bushel. Um, any other stories where there are lamps? Ten virgins and lamps. Which are doing, what, what's the problem with this ten virgins and lamps story? They're waiting, and if they're awake or sleeping. Okay, so we have some thoughts potentially here, which is there's something about sleeping and lamps. Maybe those are connected. Again, the point here is, we're not saying anytime we make a connection, therefore, those are relevant to the story. Does that make sense? Okay? We can get all sorts of weird places at that point. The point is, is to just sort of start asking the question, make some connections, and as we go, does there start to be a coherent sense of the passage? 
Does that make sense? Because otherwise what happens is we do these sort of conclusions, which is poor uh, marginalized youth, okay? That's not what we're trying to do. Trisha looks like she wants to say something. Breaking bread. Okay, you're going to jump into breaking bread? Okay, perfect. Um, yeah, right? So it says at the beginning and the end of the story. It says, we, haven't broke, we didn't break bread yet, and then at the end we're saying, break bread. Okay. So if we, we just think about that phrase, breaking bread, what stories does that remind us of? Okay, the Last Supper. The loaves and the fish. Any others? The road to Emmaus. No. Yeah, right, which is the road, the road to Emmaus. So, okay, so thank you. Okay, yeah, so, okay, so we, we start to have these, these stories, right, where there's breaking bread. This isn't, again... When we get a phrase like that, we go, oh, it's something that isn't super common. We think and say, well, we break bread. And how many times is Scripture sort of calling us and saying, breaking bread, breaking bread, breaking bread. So we have feeding the 5,000, the Last Supper. Jesus breaks bread at Emmaus. Um, any others? Jump out to you guys, think about or that type of thing. Okay. Um, the parable uh, of, of going to visit his neighbor because he needs bread for the visitor, right? Is that the, that one we're talking about? Okay, yeah, yep. Um, yeah. Are, are you going to a new idea? Okay, can we, can we finish the breaking bread one and then we'll, we'll come back to that one? Does that work? Okay. A um, couple other times that we break bread in Acts, uh, early on, right after Pentecost, it's talking about how uh, they're gathered together, they're just stuttering, uh, st- not stuttering, that's me, um, studying under the apostles. They're listening to the studying, uh, uh, that type of thing. They're gathered together, they're worshiping together, they're praying together, and they're breaking bread. Okay, so these are all the things that are sort of coming together. And then we have um, Acts 20, which is where we are. And then finally, near the very end of Acts 20, uh, 27, we have Paul, and they're in the middle of the storm, and Paul says, we're going to break bread before the shipwreck, basically. So we have all of those. Um, is there any sort of theme or idea that we might notice from something of the breaking of the bread in all of these stories? Community. Community, okay, yeah. Um, so we, we see the fact that these, these, you're not breaking bread by yourself. There's, there's a sense in which we're all, you know, it's a corporate uh, event that's occurring. Um, any, any other thoughts? Or? Okay, sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, and when we say to the, for the body corporately, are you saying specifically for the individual or both? Both. Both, okay. All right, okay. One, one I, I feel like as I've sort of thought about this is, is that every single time the breaking of the bread happens, there seems to be something fundamentally transformative about the situation. Jesus breaks bread and on the, and on the road to Emmaus, there's a revelation. The 5,000, you know, before he feeds, the first thing he does is break the bread and then all of a sudden the 5,000 are fed. So there's, there's this idea which there's something about the fact that the bread potentially, it, the very breaking of it, again, referencing, potentially even thinking about Jesus, is transformative. Okay, that's an idea, possible 
sort of connections. So, okay, so up to this point, we've made connections or some thoughts on lamps and the idea of the fact that we need to potentially maybe be staying awake, um, attentive to the thing. Maybe that's a reference that we're talking about. We've looked at sort of breaking bread um, and th that idea of that there's something transformative with it, that it connects maybe to the Lord's Supper, uh, that there's something corporate that's, uh, that's essential to it. Okay, so you're going, to go, you're going to go to resurrection idea. Pause for a second. I wanted to go to Karen because Karen had something she wanted to comment on. Yeah, what? Uh, how, many, how many days? Just days, 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 days. Okay, yeah. Right, so there's this, um, this emphasis. Uh, if, if we search something like days, we're going to get ourselves in a lot of trouble real fast. Because <laughs> that's just a word that shows up a lot, right? So uh, days specifically, but it, um, his focus on time is important. Um, you, we, can, we can get a sense that he's clearly emphasizing that. You know, at one level, if we just sort of go back, Paul was really set on getting to Jerusalem by, by unleavened bread is initially where he wanted to get there by Passover, and he's clearly missed that. So then he changes his and says, I'm going to get there by Pentecost. So at one level, it's going, hey, did you notice he's missed where he was really hoping to be? Okay, but if we're breaking bread and, you know, this day, this day is over unleavened bread, as, as Karen's sort of commenting, there's this focus. And again, that starts to potentially connect us to what story if we're, we're noticing unleavened breads and, break, and breaking bread. Passover. Passover, right? So the last supper or that type of thing. Um, okay, so we've got those connections. Um, Debbie here was commenting on resurrections. How many resurrections do we have in the whole Bible? Just in several, but there's a couple other ones involving children. Youth, yes, okay. Jerry's daughter was raised, and in the Old Testament, was it Elisha raised that, um, that widow's child that, or that woman's child that died? Okay, yeah. Yeah, so you're, you're noticing that Jesus raises Jairus' younger, uh, you know, youth of some sort, okay? Right, and then we have um, Elisha, who initially the woman receives a son because of a blessing from him and then dies, and he raises him, which is also, there's another story that actually is very similar to that story of death and resurrection with a young child before that one, before Elisha. Hold on. Yeah, yes. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Daryl, were you going to specifically point out the other? Yeah, I mean, just in the sequence of the verses. Okay. Um, not to, well, just give the sequence. The fact that he says he was overcome by sleep. Oh, okay. So you're going under another idea? Oh, hold on. Okay, I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to do one idea at a time. Okay, so I'm just, we're focused on resurrection, okay? So we have Elisha, but there's another story before Elisha that is a death and resurrection story. Yeah. Well, the connection with that, too, is that Elisha fell on that boy face-to-face. Jumping ahead here. Same as Paul, and then there was uh, the prophet that fell in on the dead body. Okay, which is, which is Elijah, right? Okay. Yeah, so, okay, so we have death and resur resurrection. Elijah is the other one, right? So he actually has, um, when he goes and, and visits the, the woman that he stays with, her son also dies, and he also raises 
her. Okay, so, okay, so we're just trying to make some connections here. Okay, so we're noticing things about the story. And so we're saying, let's just pay attention to the story. Notice what we're doing here. Often when people teach you to read the Bible, it feels daunting because you have to learn Greek or Hebrew. Not expecting that, okay? It helps. It absolutely helps. But we're not even using Greek or Hebrew. We're just being attentive to the story, okay? Daryl. Said, he's alive, he's not dead. Well, Jesus said, she's asleep, and she's, you know. And they laughed him to scorn in that place, but he, yeah. they, but Paul speaks and said, you know, he's alive. Okay. And, and, and they don't respond the same way that those people did, but their response, right. the fact that he speaks to that situation at that moment, the way, similarly, Jesus did to uh, that situation when he raised Jairus' daughter. Okay, yeah. Um, which potentially, again, if we're starting to just make connections between stories and we're starting to think about it, if we just, just limit ourselves for a second, we, so we start, there's, a, there's some comments about how noticing the Elijah and Elisha story are starting to sound similar to what Paul does. Not only is he raising a youth, but his very action of laying on the body sounds very reminiscent of, say, what Elisha does when he raises from the dead. Okay. If we just limit ourselves to the story of Luke and Acts, because of the fact that Luke is put, and as we've talked about multiple times now at this point, Luke to Acts is one story. So how is the connections of what Luke is doing just in the story itself? Um, so we now have the resurrection of Jairus' daughter, um, but there's at least two more resurrections in Luke and Acts that, that, are hap- that happen. And so if we just stick to those two, uh, you guys... Think of those two. or Lazarus, Lazarus isn't John. Yes. Okay, so we'll just stick into Luke and Acts for the moment. Okay, you're absolutely right, right? So there are a total of basically 10 resurrections in the whole, old, uh, the whole Bible. Uh, so, yes, thank you. Okay, so um, the, widow's, uh, the widow's son who's raised is in Luke 7. Um, so we have Jairus' daughter in Luke 8, widow's, daughter in, uh, uh, widow's son in Luke 7, and... Then we have one other in Acts itself that's happened before that. Yes, exactly, Dorcas. So Paul already falls into an extremely uh, lucrative or limited group of people at this point, right? Um, There aren't a lot of people running around who've raised people from the dead. Total of 10, Jesus clearly falls in a completely different bracket with multiple resurrections, and then we have Peter who's done one, and now we have Paul who's done one. Um, so, so we've got that. Uh, somebody was raising their hand. I just missed it. Steve. There was also when Jesus died on the cross, uh, many godly people in Jerusalem came out of their tomb. Yes, that's in Matthew, right? At the end of Matthew where it makes that point, which is, yeah, so there's, there's a resurrection there, which is, we don't even get a count. <laughs> we just say many came out, um, which is amazing in and of itself. Okay, so, okay, so we, we've, been, we've been trying to just sort of make some connections here. Uh, clearly, resurrection in and of itself is an extremely rare event. We've noticed something about breaking bread, something about um, sleeping and potentially staying awake, the importance of that. And the connection there was not just sleep, 
specifically the connection was lamps and sleep and how of a rare of an event that was. Um, did you come in because you wanted to say something? Okay, cool. That's fine. I'm, switch I'm, I'm fine to switch. Yeah. Okay, yes. Right, right, okay. Yeah, so you're saying, um, so if we, we specifically looked at, say, the idea of upper room, how many stories really start to hone in on upper rooms at this point? Jesus and the disciples at the Passover. Okay, so we're starting to tack up the amount of that start to fit with Passover. Do you, okay, you see, do you see what we're doing? You know, so we're just starting to ask questions and make connections. We're starting to see that maybe there's a connection with what we'll call Luke 22, in the story, okay? That's all we've done so far. I'll make another point, and it'll probably come out anyway, that Jesus knew he was going to die, so he was trying to give the disciples everything they needed so that they would have it when he left. Okay, Paul yeah. Paul doing the same thing in the upper room, yes. trying to okay. tell them everything that needs to be done because he knows he's not going to come back. Okay, sure. Right. So... You see how corporately, though, like as we work and we study as the body, we can start to make connections. Um, and and we, we, we're, here, we're here to work in such a way that we grow together and we learn. And everyone's going to bring a certain portion. There are going to be times where we have to sort of say that, you know, that um, interpretation is concerning or it starts to be inconsistent with other parts of Scripture. Okay? But we're also being attentive to the fact that how is this done? So what Dan's sort of just said is, is he's making this connection of the idea, what Paul is doing starts to sound reminiscent of what Jesus does before he goes away. And we started to make those other connections to where Luke 22 keeps popping up, popping up, popping up. So we're starting to ask the question, is Luke 22 something we're supposed to be thinking about with that story? But before we, before we go to that, let's just, the upper room stories. How many times is the upper room really starting to show up in in specifically the New Testament. So we got Luke 22, the Last Supper. It's in the beginning of Acts where they uh, waited in Jerusalem. Correct. Right, so in Acts 1.13, they're all gathered together. It's before the pouring out of the Spirit. They're all gathered corporately together. Um, they are there. They're, they're waiting for something to happen. And so, uh, but they're, they're there gathered in prayer and, and, and trying to make decisions as they're going forward. So there's something about this upper room that's important. Uh, there's at least one other story that has connections with upper room. Some of these ones, it's like, you're, if you're reading and you're not, if we're not paying attention, they, it just, just slip right past you. Okay, so the other places that we get upper rooms is when Paul, uh, Peter raises uh, Tabitha. He does it in an upper room. Correct. In both the Elijah and Elisha stories, we're told at some point that the rooms that they're in are upper rooms. So we're starting to see there might be a connection with the Elisha, Elijah stories. Potentially some connections with the Tabitha story. Again, we're just sort of trying to make connections here. So, she, okay, so, uh, perfect. I love, I love it when, you act, when I, my notes actually work. <laughs> I, was really, I was really nervous I was going to do this, and you guys were going to bring up all these amazing points that I had no idea about. So you guys have really, like, 
Thank you. I, I appreciate it. Um, so, okay. So, yeah. So, uh, the question is, is how many times have people but fallen asleep in the story of Luke and Acts? And when they've done, what's that been like? What, what's been going on in those stories? Okay. So, we got one that was right after Luke 22. They go to the garden. People are fall asleep when they're supposed to be awake. Um, only... Only in Luke, in Luke 9, 28 through 36. This is when Jesus goes up to be transfigured. It's the only one of the Gospels that includes the detail which says, Peter, James, and John fell asleep <laughs> during the story. Okay, so again, we're, just, we're trying to pay attention to you know, both the, corp, the whole, all of Scripture, but we're also paying attention to specifically the story that is inspired by the Spirit that Luke is communicating to us. Understand that. And so here in both of these, we get this, they're, they're, they're not attentive when they're supposed to be. Um, and, you know, th- that sticks with so many other things where Jesus talks about, you know, like, are you asleep or awake? Um, uh, First, Thessalon- First Thess- Thessalonians 4.13 talks about those who have fallen asleep, as in a, a sense of death. Um, so there's something about being awake. We're, we're trying to say, stay awake. Stay awake. Is that some detail there? Okay, so I want to take a, a pullback and do a completely different sort of approach here. What we've been doing is focusing on the details of this story. Sometimes what happens, though, is, is we can build a really interesting idea or um, explanation for one story that makes no sense of anything else that happens around that story. Okay, so we end up saying, this is some weird idea of the story of Eutychus, and it has nothing to do with the rest of what's going on in Luke uh, or, or Acts. So what I think this idea is often called a, uh, typology, and it's the idea of being able to summarize a story in such a way that you can hear how it sounds like another story. For instance, if I told you the summary of a story, an angel comes to a woman, and tells her that she will have a child, and child will have an important purpose. The child grows into a man who defeats the enemies of Israel. The man is betrayed by someone close to him. The man's greatest victory is achieved in his death. What story am I telling you? Jesus. Jesus. And? Uh, John? John the Baptist. Oh, okay. So, um, his greatest victory is achieved in his death? Okay. Samson. Samson. Okay, thank you. Yes. Okay, so, do you, okay, one, I mean, we can, right off the bat, the second we say an angel comes to a woman, we've narrowed the stories down to very few. Boom, okay? Um, what I'm saying when we, when we compare these stories is not that in the same way Samson did stupid things that got him killed, that therefore Jesus did stupid things that got him killed, okay? I, w- I want to be very clear about that. When we parallel stories, that doesn't mean that every single detail is exactly the same. Actually, often that's the point, is, is to notice how they're not the same. Uh, we've actually looked at this multiple times when we talk about the idea of Babylon and how Babylon becomes the prototype for all other civilizations, and so Amos comes along and says, 
Israel's become another Babylon. That's what, you know, what uh, Stephen announces again before he's killed is Jerusalem is just another Babylon. So we keep seeing this repetition of can we get out of the cycle? And on our own, there's no way to get out of the cycle. But every story is just another repetition. Do we seem to be just another Babylon? So this, this idea of, of seeing how these stories repeat. Uh, if I tell you the story of sort of what we did in Acts 13 and 14, we noticed the fact that when God sets up the world, then there's land, then there's a garden. Humanity is now in the garden. Humanity has a problem with fruit from the garden. There's brother-brother conflict. Then there's a pause in the story for genealogy. And when we come back to the story, it's gotten so bad that God has to bring judgment. What story am I telling you? Genesis. Genesis what? Roughly. One through... Six. Genesis 1 through 6. But if we restart, when we come back, God sets up the world after the flood. Land comes up out of it. There's a garden. Noah gets drunk. (laughs) Problem with fruit from the garden. What happens next? Okay, so at that point, then you have brother-brother conflict, a pause for genealogy, and the world's so bad, God brings judgment. Again, not to say that these two stories are identical. The point is to notice how they parallel. And as we do that, we start to get more revelation of what Scripture is trying to communicate. So let's put this actually to work a little bit here. If I tell you the story, real short story, false witnesses bring charges against a person that leads to their death. Jesus and two more. Stephen, perfect. This one's not a super popular one. Thank you, yes. Naboth and his vineyard, yes, right? Um, Which even in itself, okay, so Naboth, um, Ahab really wants the vineyard. His solution is to kill the guy so that he can get the vineyard. Boy, does that sound to start like a parable Jesus tells. Um. Boy, maybe he's drawing on um, the Old Testament as he's starting to tell his stories. Um, so, okay, so we start to see here, Jesus and Stephen are start to sound very similar, right? They've both got false witnesses. Um, in, in Jesus' case, he even looks up and says, you know, like, um, he, he's saying, um, the Son of Man is going to take his place. Stephen at the end is saying, I see the Son of Man has taken his place. Uh, next story, uh, if I were to tell you the story of someone who was arrested just before Passover. He's placed between two men. He's struck in the side. He comes through the ordeal and meets a woman. That woman tells others about what she saw, and they don't believe her. The man goes away, but we aren't sure exactly where he went. Okay, so she says, Peter? Jesus. Jesus. So when we get these details, these stories are starting to sound really similar to each other. So uh, I'll, I'll hop to Acts 12 just for a second so we can...
Now Herod was about to bring him out on that very night. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound by with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up, saying, get up quickly. Okay, see. And then, you know, he goes out, he meets a woman, he stands at the door knocking. They don't believe the woman. So, okay, just from the standpoint of this story starts to sound very, very much like Jesus' story. So, final story. Uh, seven times in the story, it is said the individual is going to Jerusalem. There is a prophecy about the person that says bad events are going to happen when they reach Jerusalem. Um, and the person clearly understands that when they reach Jerusalem, things are not going to go well for them. They go to the temple. They're arrested by Jewish mobs and turned over to Roman authorities. They're declared innocent three times. They come through the chaotic event and have greater authority when they come out through the other side. Paul and Jesus, right? Okay, so um, obviously the Jesus one I think we're very familiar with. What, what happens is, is in the story from uh, Acts 21 on, that's that the, all of those details start, have started to happen. Even before that, we've started to hear it constantly, I'm going to Jerusalem, or it says, he's going to Jerusalem. And it says it seven times, just like it says in, in Luke's gospel. Luke emphasizes here seven different times that's the case. Um, they both enter Jerusalem. They're arrested three times. They basically face almost identical courts um, who those people are structure, um, in the governmental system. It's exactly like the same people. And they're just continually declared innocent as they go along. And yet, in Jesus' case, he's killed. In Luke's case, he's sent away. He goes through actual chaotic waters instead of just through death and resurrection. He goes through the chaos. And he comes out the other side. He gets bitten by a snake and shrugs it off. Reminding us to say Genesis 3. Um, so, okay, you can see how these stories, like this, this pattern of being able to recognize and summarize stories is not an, inter, uh, an easily learned skill. But as we start to be attentive and summarizing stories, we can start to hear that. Okay, so this, the reason this is important is one, as we see the fact that Stephen's life, Peter's life, and Paul's life all start to very much parallel Jesus' life we start to recognize that those who are dedicated and, and moving towards being transformed by Christ, their lives start to sound like Christ's in all of its challenges. And I think when we hear Acts in that light, it changes things. So if, if, again, if we see now Paul paralleling all of these things. He's now gone through all of these things, and that starts in Acts 21, where he really is arrested. So then we step back into Acts 20, which is where we are. When we do that, we notice now that we have greater confidence in saying, this is the Last Supper for Paul. The next thing that he does is give a detailed speech about how to be prepared for what's going to come reminding us again of Jesus and what he's about to do. So the Eutychus story then doesn't just stand alone on itself. It starts to actually have greater purpose and function inside of it. Does that make sense? Just sort of connect those things? Okay. And so, you know, so what we're doing is we didn't have to summarize the story. Just start to get a feel that potentially the Passover 
supper makes sense. But as we start to summarize stories, then we're getting even more confidence that what we're saying about this Eutychus story being a Passover event makes sense. And so this is, this is part of like how to study scripture and to do it corporately in such a way that other people can start to bring out ideas or concepts and start to connect those things because individually, at least I'm not attentive enough to pick out all of those details. This is something that happens as we study and grow together. So questions or comments? Concerns? Okay. Yeah. Donna. Okay. Sin, yeah. Prophets that come, mm. that are hated, that, okay. Uh, yeah. So I'm I'm sorry. I'm I'm not sure what what you're what you're connecting that to. Like what oh, uh, what story are we? The, all the, the resurrection and the, um, the things. Yeah. So, Okay, all right, so you're asking me, am I reading Revelation in such a way that I'm predicting the future? Well, is that... No, but do you see any connection with that, that prophecy, that story? And the stories in Revelation to the story in the Gospel. Oh, okay, gotcha. So, okay, so in, uh, Even though that's like... Uh, yeah, a prophecy by John, there are a lot of similarities with what we just talked about. Okay, so... Um, there is death and resurrection of and the two Babylon. prophets. There's Babylon, uh, similar to sort of what we're saying with Ju- Jerusalem. Okay, so we're starting to make these, you're making this connection that is what's happening in Acts, something that should be impacting how we read Revelation. Yes. Okay, okay, thank you. Okay, uh, to, your, to, the, to your point, I think there's strong evidence we should definitely think that direction, um, but that's beyond the scope of... Um... That's why I talked about <laughs> <laughs> Right, right. I mean, it's prophecy, so automatically it becomes muddy right up front anyway. Um, but, but yes. Ahead, Correct. Like, oh, I know a story way at the end of the book mm. that has prophets hated, killed for the message. Sure. Resurrected. Right. And then they go away too, and we don't know whatever, you know, it's just. We're left wondering where they went. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, so I, I would say. Um, if we're specifically going to talk about how to read Revelation, the fact that we disassociate it often with, Revela- um, with Acts is a problem. So the fact that you're starting to ask questions, are there connections we should be hearing or seeing? Yes, I think we should be thinking that way. You don't have to answer. I, I would say, uh, uh, yeah, beyond that, it's going to be really, in, it's tough. I mean, there's a reason that, that um, Revelation at one point wasn't even considered scripture. <laughs> Then was, was struggled with and has been struggled with for, you know, a couple years at least. So. So. Other, other comments or questions? I just think Dan. it was important. Um, you know, all scripture is important. And the fact that they had this boy that fell out of the window mm-hmm. and then was actually brought back from the dead. Um, is important, you know, um, to the sense that, you know, um, like someone's preaching and something bad happens, it doesn't 
necessarily mean that the preaching was bad or something was wrong. Okay. That God can still resurrect or bring back things that happened. Okay. Yeah. So, so the fact that we would say build um, a justification over something based off of a bad event occurring in, in during something like a sermon, as if that's the true thing to draw the most from, is problematic and concerning. That yeah. Okay. Yes. And and I so I would agree with that. Um, and so you know th- those conclusions are possible conclusions at the beginning of the sermon. If you want to write next to them all bad conclusions. I was not suggesting any of them I think are really valuable more than I wanted to just sort of point out how people have done what they've done with this in the past. So, uh, other questions before I close? Steve. It's not a question, but yeah. like you're suggesting that it's important for us to devote maybe more time for corporate Bible study and discussion together. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Corporate, yeah. The fact, uh, the, the fact that I think um, in our culture, just again, for, we, I think we've talked about this so many times through Acts, the uh, me, 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 it's all about me, it's all about me, me, me. Um, in the same way we'll say, well, I need to go and read my Bible by myself type of thing. Do it, absolutely. And study it corporately. Grow together. Otherwise you get into an echo chamber where that's all you hear is yourself. Um, and the spirit will work. I'm not minimizing that, but the spirit works when we're corporate too. So, thank you, Steve. Yeah, Paul. So, how does Leviticus fit in all that? Thank you, Paul. Passover is mentioned. Oh, there you go. Yeah, exactly. Passover. That's about the. That's what I got. Um, no, I got nothing else for you on Leviticus. Sorry. I know. Just I. All my fans are disappointed at this point with that, but. Anyway. Yes. Um, just try to summarize, Karen, because I know I try to sometimes remember to do it for the audio. Um, She's talking about the fact that like when people, specifically Andrew Brunson, um, has been, was put in prison for two years isolated, and the ability to, to, to carry on when you're isolated like that is really, really hard. Um, So I think, again, the idea of corporately working together is super important to that. Did you want to say something? Okay, go. Later. 
that, oh, that's why that was in there, because it helped me understand something now. And so I think a part of what he's saying, um, correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. is that that's how we should read the Bible. To pay attention to those details, so that when they come up again later, it's like, oh, okay, well, I understand something because I saw that back there. Does that make sense? So I'm just trying to help you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, the fact that those details are not um, uh, random. They're there for a reason. Um, and some of them, it's like, I, I, I'm still, you know, I, I'm still working, you know, I've been working on this Eutychus uh, 20 portion. There's still a couple points in there where it says something, and I'm like, I have no idea why that's there. Um, maybe someone else does. But, you know, that, that's, that's the point is, is you know, like, we're, we're attentive, and not everything, but we started to at least get a general feel and shape for the passage as we paid attention to it. So, uh, to close here, um, Acts 20, specifically the Eutychus passage, is a, a, a last supper with Paul and his followers. Um, what we notice different in this story is, is the fact that corporately being gathered with Paul, still even with the Spirit poured out, doesn't guarantee attentiveness. Um, you can be there, but that doesn't guarantee that you can't fall asleep, okay? So we're, we're called to actively be part of the church. And so they are, they're gathered together, they're growing, but there are those who st still aren't. And so Paul is able, you know, is, brings this individual back to life because that is what happens in the movement of the church. People are brought to life, either physically, like in an actual literal resurrection, but even greater, the, re the resurrection we're even more interested in, the truly bringing to life of the individual. Because we're, wa we're walking around dead until Christ comes and changes us. So we're brought into this resurrection because of what happens. And so when they break bread, when we do communion, we're not just doing it as a passive thing. There is actually something that is happening, that is transforming, that is changing us, so that when we see Paul... Peter and Stephen's lives, they are so transformed that they sound, their lives start to sound like Christ's. And so in the same way, we are called to be transformed so that our lives do sound like Christ's. In the last part of this, reiterates the words that it is more blessed to give than to receive. Okay. And so to me, that's asking us to give of what we know of who Jesus is mm -hmm. so that other people can receive kind of to reiterate what you were saying to join together. Yeah, okay, yeah. sure, to be connected and to the point of actually giving corporately to each other because that's what we're called to. Yeah, right. sure, thank you.